The question is, how do we make these decisions? We should make them biblically. We should lean on the Lord and on his ways, his wisdom, and not on our own understanding. We should allow his word to guide us. We should think things through theologically, even if it's going to cost us, Mm -hmm. even if it's going to be more difficult, it's going to require more work, like a Sunday evening. It requires a lot from from the pastor putting together another sermon. It requires having another person to help lead worship. It requires people to go on Sunday evenings. There are sacrifices, quote unquote, that we'll have to make to to do these things. It won't always be easy to teach the catechism to our high school students, but we should strive to do it nonetheless because of the great benefit and the goodness of it. Welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. In each episode, we strive to apply Reformed theology to life and ministry in the 21st century. Thanks for joining us for this week's conversation. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. I'm Pastor Mark. And I am Pastor Zach. And uh, we're starting another episode with an apology today because uh, (laughs) it's been a couple weeks since we have last produced some content for our faithful listeners, and um, we're sorry about that. Um, Again, uh, we'll use the same excuse as last time. We have a a new full-time employee, uh, Ken, who's our new worship director and is doing an amazing job, but... That has certainly taken uh, uh, much of my time and energy and focus over the last couple weeks is mm-hmm. just uh, getting adjusted to some new realities here in the office at Almond yeah. Valley. And um, like I said, it's been an amazing blessing for our church, but anyone who has onboarded a new fellow employee or somebody that's um, that working under your supervision um, you know that that it does require a lot of work on the front end. And so um, we do hope to get back to weekly podcasts here on Reformed Podmatics, but um, I don't know how soon that'll be happening, that we'll be able to get back to weekly. Hopefully next week we can produce something. It's still a priority for us as a church and um, as a council. is very supportive in this effort um, that, that we put forth to podcasting. Um, it's a new idea for a lot of our older <laughs> council members and yeah. older members of our church, but... Uh, we're getting a lot of great um, encouragement from listeners and and feedback, and the statistics are very encouraging too in terms of how many mm. people are tuning in. So we want to keep going, but uh, we do apologize that it hasn't been as regular lately. And so um, today's episode, we are going to be um, diving into something that Zach's been thinking uh, a lot about, and I, I like the the word picture that he used to kind of uh, explain what we'll be talking about. And so, Zach, why don't you take it away to to tell us what you've been ruminating about in the previous weeks here? Yeah, so I've just been thinking about that old saying about the toothpaste, and once it comes out of the tube, there's no no putting it back in. Uh, And I think about this in terms of ministry decisions that are made, not only in our church, uh, but really in in the broader Christian church church. in the world, uh, in our sort of American context, but really even beyond that. Uh, it just seems to me that sometimes decisions get made uh, and have been made over the past, let's say, even like 100 years uh, in in our churches that are made really more on the basis of pragmatism and what would make the most sense, what would make uh, 
what would be the most convenient decision? What would be the easiest, maybe the most streamlined, minimal effort kind of decision? Uh, and so it, it, it just has hit me. I've been studying church history for the past several months. And last semester, I taught a class with our adults on the broad scope of church history. And then this semester, we're zooming in on CRC church history. And so a thought that has been sort of coming to mind is just how much things have changed over the years and how did we get to the way for things to be the way that they are now in not only our context here at Almond Valley, but um, especially thinking more broadly about the CRC. Uh, One such thing that got me thinking this way was just uh, some of the major deciding principles of the secession in the Dutch Reformed Church uh, by those who came to be known as the Christian Reformed Church in the Netherlands. Uh, The offskiting is the the sort of Dutch word for that. Uh, But one of their major things, among others, was their commitment to singing the psalms. they, they loved the psalms and thought that they weren't being sung enough. They, they weren't really being sung much at all. Uh, there was even some downgrade in different ways where uh, the Reformed Church of the Netherlands wasn't really requiring their ministers to hold even to the canons of Dort. And so that was another big thing. So it was just kind of how things had gotten more and more downgraded. And so I just think about that today. And in many ways, I, when I think, I think about uh, my own vision of the church. I, I often I struggle, and people probably could understand this if they if you've listened to enough of me. I struggle to with that temptation to want to go back to the way things were in mm-hmm. some uh, sort of mythical golden era, mm. uh, and that's that's not a good uh, healthy thing to to do all the time. But that being said. I think there are many ways that we could learn from the past and there are things that we've sort of lost. And so it's kind of like the toothpaste thing, right? Once the toothpaste goes out, once a decision is made in the life of a church, it can be hard for that decision to be reversed. So I can start with one example, Mm -hmm. Uh, something that was on the table for Synod 2022 when I was there was the decision to change the church order's expectation of Sunday evening services uh, from being sort of a a church order rule that we uh, we as churches in the CRC are supposed to abide by, changing that in order to reflect real practice in the churches, which has become, uh, in most places, I think, no practice of the of celebrating the Lord's Day with the evening service, and so uh, it was changed to ordinarily. That was the language. Ordinarily, churches will will observe the Lord's Day with both a morning and an evening service. But now that ch- many churches have canceled the evening service in their in their bodies, it's going to be harder for those who want to return to the evening service to do that. Mm-hmm. Now that this decision has been made, and there may have been, you know, some good reasons mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. some less good reasons involved mm-hmm. in why they decided. This is, I'm not speaking of any church in particular, I'm just kind of noticing a general trend here. But I just imagine if there were some in those churches where they had cut the evening service, <clears throat> it's going to be a lot harder for them to restart it if they want to do that. Yeah, that's um, that's a big part of this conversation in my mind is not just that we have lost some things that mm-hmm. would be difficult to get back. Right. Um, so that's sort of the toothpaste analogy, which I like. Yeah. Um, but alongside that, we have lost some things that 
we probably didn't realize how much they were forming people. Yeah, like for sure. the evening service. I mean, I know we talked about the evening service as well in our last episode on our vision for <laughs> yeah. the CRC. And so we don't want to be the evening service zealots, but um, it it does. Um, it's it's a really good example of what we want to get at in this episode to say, mm-hmm. um, thinking of the Lord's Day um, mm-hmm. in terms of the morning worship service, and then I do whatever I want the rest of the day. Yeah, is. Um, it's very pervasive in our culture, uh, mm-hmm. whereas uh, obviously the Old Testament law and um, certainly the New Testament um, reality was to to give the whole day to the Lord, to to yeah. call it blessed and holy, um, yeah. to, to receive it as the blessing that it is, and to also keep it holy, separate, mm-hmm. um, the whole day long. And so um, by canceling, you know, evening services or moving to say small groups in the evening, which is mm-hmm. uh, that that's maybe one way a church could, uh, to keep it the Lord's day holy yeah. and blessed. Um, um, I think though, moving away from that corporate gathering in the evening, the church has lost many things that maybe mm-hmm. we're sometimes we'd say, yeah, it's, it's the church community is different now. What is that? That's so different about our community. Yeah. Um, and this could maybe help to name some of those things that have changed. And so it's not just that as an example, but um, that's one of the first that came to our mind is that uh, by, by canceling something and maybe in favor of something else, um, we like to focus on the positive, mm-hmm. which, which could be there. But at times it's good for us to take stock of how has this maybe negatively impacted the faith formation of our children mm-hmm. or the sense of community we have as a church or just frankly our obedience to the fourth commandment and keeping the whole lord's day sacred so yeah. um I, I there are other examples that we'll give here of things that have changed that that might not have been a change for the better across the board mm-hmm. and um some people would regard that as just sort of a negative downer episode <laughs> but really the point of this is to encourage people to to discern mm-hmm. was that change actually a benefit yeah. spiritually speaking to our church and if it wasn't let's let's do maybe some hard work to to recapture something yeah. that, that we used to do that was good and the replacement just hasn't been as effective yeah and similarly maybe you are in a church leadership position perhaps you're uh, an ordained minister of the word or maybe you're an elder or a deacon or you just have some sort of uh, influential lay position within your your church body uh, you're sort of looked to as a leader whether or not you're currently on your council uh, or not uh, you may be in a church that's considering making a change to something mm-hmm. and you're weighing the the sort of pros and cons uh, I think part of this episode too is for is an encouragement to everyone out there to think through these kinds of major church ministry decisions uh, first and foremost from a theological mm-hmm. perspective mm-hmm. that should be our guiding perspective when we make these kinds of when we make these kinds of changes uh, I could even riff through a list here real quick just to <laughs> give people more ideas of examples of things that have changed over the years so psalm singing used to be a big deal in the CRC uh, it is no longer much of a practice as far as I can tell uh, in the CRC maybe that's something we could uh, we could return to as a denomination. I'm not an exclusive psalmody kind of guy. That's definitely not my position. 
but I love the Psalms. I think there could be ways we could creatively incorporate them back into our worship. Another example, well, something our, our, our listeners <laughs> at Emmanuel CRC here in Ripon, yeah. well, they'll they'll love that suggestion because I know they've been singing the Psalms a lot more. Yes, they have in worship lately. And uh, good job to those who are over at uh, Emmanuel CRC and JP for doing a great job. Yeah, for writing sure. music to the Psalms yep. and the churches singing song words that sound strange in a song. You yeah. Know? And yeah. that's what the psalm singing the psalms will do for somebody. You know, whoa, boy! You know, we're we're singing about evildoers and um, yeah. and those who who hate God and and who deny yeah. God and and so forth. Um, but those are songs in the Bible that we're supposed mm-hmm. to sing. And so, from my understanding, it's really shaping that church. And yeah, I've heard some good things. And in the Reformed tradition, the psalms have had such a central place in worship. Mm. And in most of the Reformed tradition, up until probably the 19th century, uh, psalms were were basically exclusively being sung uh, to the exclusion of of hymns. There there are certain strands of the Calvinist tradition that did sing hymns, but for the most part, it was it was actually psalms, and so uh, I think there's something to learn there. Mm-hmm. Another example might be whether or not we keep our children in a Sunday morning service, uh, or for that matter, a Sunday evening service, mm-hmm. or we somehow split them up. Do we, uh, when they come to church, do we check them in to their to their assigned worship and have them go there? Uh, here at Ammon Valley, we have sort of a blended uh, thing where the young people from uh, from three years old up to second grade, uh, they stay in the service up until the sermon, essentially. Through, yeah. So they're about halfway in the service. So they're they're participating right there with their parents, and then uh, they make their way downstairs for a time of worship for them, which we call children in worship. And that that program, children in worship, though, is very intentionally designed to prepare yeah, children to worship. be in the worship service after second yeah. grade, and so even that's Kind yeah. of a fine, distinct, a, a nuance maybe to yeah, the conversation. Yeah, it's not just well. a children's church. Yeah, it's it's training for church in a sense. Yeah, um, and so yeah, I think that would be another item of a thing where, with like, well, maybe we could go back to the way things would have been three hundred years ago, where everyone would be in church altogether. Maybe there's good reasons to do it the way we we do it. Uh, I think that's certainly a discussion that would be an open discussion here. Um, We'll check. With just a good. <laughs> we'll check back with Zach in about six months and find out. Yeah, if, yeah. Uh, Once I have guy, my yeah. own child, let me <laughs> no. uh, give my parental perspective. Uh, it sounds great the- theoretically in my yep. mind to have all of God's covenant children all together and worship together, the young and the old. Mm-hmm. But I think that there there could be good arguments for that. But that's yeah, the kind yeah. of thing that I think that this this brings up is. Have these kinds of decisions uh, been for the best? Another one yeah. would be our teaching of the catechism and how routine we ought to make the catechism. Uh, hundreds of years ago in the Reformed tradition, every single Sunday evening or afternoon service would have been uh, systematically going through the catechism. Uh, there was really, uh, as far as I understand, no no wrinkles in that. It was Every mm-hmm. year, that was that was through the Lord's Day. First Sunday of the year, you're on Lord's Day one. Yep. Second Sunday, you're on Lord's Day two. Uh, all the way through the catechism again and again and again. Now, I think we've gotten to the point where the catechism is, in many churches, kind of a thing of the past. Mm. Uh, it's just sort of relegated to the back of our Psalter hymnal. Mm-hmm. It's a historical document 
that doesn't have a whole lot of meaning or import for our churches. <clears throat> and so I think that that's something we could retrieve and recover. Mm. Uh, and I, I think we, we do a decent job of that here at our church. Uh, I'm proud to say of, of doing catechetical sermons and making that a feature of our life together at our evening services. Another example we, we've written down here is church discipline. I think it's easy to not practice church discipline. And so often when we know something should be done in the life of a member of, of our churches, we don't act because it's easier, it's mm-hmm. nicer. And then it's, it's harder to, when, when there's really a need, and there are times when church discipline needs to be uh, uh, dealt with, it needs yeah. to be executed, it needs to be doled out, uh, to, to say it bluntly, uh, where if we've not laid that precedent, then it's really hard to yeah. try to practice it, and yeah. then it gets really difficult, uh, and it will seem unfair, yeah, uh, and so on. Yeah, for people who assume that church discipline isn't happening um, when, such, when such a person is caught up in sin, uh, and they would be approached by somebody from council, it would really take someone aback, like, whoa, I didn't know church was like this. Yeah. That somebody would be yeah. in my life like this, yeah, um, or, or somebody would, you know, really step into this and be asking some really difficult questions. I thought church was something that I go and do on Sunday, totally voluntaristically, um, right? right? It's like being a part of the Lions Club or something. Yeah, yeah even less so, probably <laughs> in, in in some regards. Um, but um, but yeah, church discipline would be a great example of of something that overall is is probably generally lost, especially when we compare it to, say, the church discipline of Calvin's Geneva, where it was very, very common that somebody mm-hmm. would be coming before the council, and that didn't make them a kind of judgmental tribunal, but it was just um, a representation of accountability in the community that, that the council elders um, would be overseers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what the word means in in the original Greek to be an overseer Mm -hmm. connotes this looking over people's lives and helping them with issues that they're facing and whether that's financial things, uh, sexual sin or um, a truancy from, from worship on, on the Lord's day Mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, Just to be accountable in a community Mm -hmm. is um, that's really what we mean when we talk about church discipline and it's people hear that word discipline and they think, generally of the negative, I would say, mm-hmm. but accountability to put it positively, really... let's think about accountability yeah. in, in a very practical sense that conversations hopefully are happening in, in every church, but I get the sense they're not, mm-hmm. that when somebody is, is caught up in sin, um, it's, it is just, it feels easier yeah. to look the other way as a church leader. Yeah, we live in such a world now that takes the value of expressive individualism mm-hmm. so seriously that... Uh, it's hard for anyone to feel like they have the right to speak into somebody's life, a yeah. word of correction, yeah. uh, because as long as they're not hurting anybody, I, I shouldn't really be saying anything. I'm going to be seen as judgmental. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of the way that we approach church discipline. So it's really uncomfortable. It's really hard in our sort of modern cultural context to, to do church discipline. But I think when, when, Christians become members of churches. So maybe the, there could be some improvement here in the way we, as, as churches in the Christian Reformed Church and more broadly, when we welcome someone in in membership, really making sure that they know mm-hmm. that 
this may not always even be comfortable for you. Yeah. There's fine print. Let's read that fine print together that when you become a member, not to scare you, but we want to keep you accountable. We want to help you fight your sin. Mm-hmm. And so when you become a member, you're taking vows, you're covenanting to a church, and in effect, you're giving them permission uh, in a season that you may change your mind, you mm-hmm. may even change your views and beliefs, they are holding you to what you have formerly promised and and professed. And so, yeah, when we become a new member of a church, we should do so knowing that I'm giving permission for this church to speak into my life. Uh not it's to abuse their authority, of, yeah. of course. Yeah, it's a covenant. Yeah. I'm covenanting with them, and they're covenanting with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my experience, it, in, in the different churches I've been involved in, I don't think anyone in church leadership wanted to be the policeman <laughs> going around, mm-hmm. looking into people's lives, trying to find all their faults and calling them out, and then starting to go through the process of church discipline. No one wants to do that. That's easily the least fun part of church ministry uh, but it's a calling because that's we we need each other for that and i think over the years this has become less and less of a practice uh, for all the reasons we've already mentioned and so now i think we're in a place in the christian reformed church where we realize church discipline probably should be happening much more frequently than it does not only with uh, ministers who are teaching against the confessions of our church, but just people in our pews, things have become too lax. I think that that's probably, that's probably true. That's, I, I guess I can only base that on my anecdotal observations, but uh, yeah, it seems like there's really no principle of church discipline today, even in conservative reformed churches. It's a huge struggle, but we confess it as the third mark of the church. And yeah, so, yeah. uh, it's just fascinating to me how we've gotten so far, but maybe we could talk also yeah, a little yeah. bit about catechisms and, and teaching the catechism. I know Mark, you've, you, you teach the catechism mm-hmm. to our high school students. Uh, what have you learned from that? What value yeah. do you find in the practice of teaching the catechism? Well, it's a, I think it's one of the best examples we could give of what we want to get at in this episode, which is sure. that, um, that we're sensing you know, in interactions, say, in the Christian Reformed Church, that that we've gotten away from something. You know, that the the toothpaste is out of the tube, and and things have changed, and it's hard to get back to yeah. where we were. And and we're, we 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 want to name one of those things as not just catechism preaching, with which Zach already mentioned, mm-hmm. um, which is really important actually, but teaching the catechism to young people. Um, yeah. But, but not just in the practical sense of we're checking this box and this thing is something we're doing in the church, but really catechizing our youth mm-hmm. so that their vocabulary and their thinking is shaped by God's word through the confessions. Mm-hmm. Um, we just read through the catechism as a family during family devotional time, and it's something that I really loved doing. Our kids enjoyed it. They um, often what I would do in teaching the catechism to my four children, which are ages 13 through six. And so the older ones are right in that prime cate- um, catechumen sort of phase of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just ask the question, what do you guys think? Um, does, does God do an injustice by expecting us to do that which we cannot do? Hmm. That's one of the questions in the catechism. Hmm. Is that fair? 
you know, so we just talk about it and then we answer the question. Um, mm. How does the resurrection of Jesus benefit you? Yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's hear their thoughts. And honestly, they were really great thoughts. And so mm. that actually helps the kids see that, you, you know, right away I'll say, you're on the right track. Here's what the catechism teaches. And so, mm. um, so this, this is happening in the home. Um, there's actually a book called Family Shepherds that uh, mm. is about being a dad and strongly encourages catechizing our children directly. It's by Vadi Baucom. Um, and uh, that, that's a really good book where there's encouragement to catechize our children. Um, but this is hopefully happening at all levels in the Christian Reformed Church. So it's happening in the home, and it's happening in a classroom for young people. I love teaching the catechism to our high school students because that's my, my connection to, yeah. the, to the high school students because Pastor Zach is with them um, a lot more regularly during the course of the week and uh, has a, a, a closer relationship certainly to them than I do. Um, but that's, and I tell the students this, I love getting to know them while yeah. teaching the, them the catechism <clears throat> and asking them these questions and we're working things out together. Um, and, and so it's important for me uh, personally, mm. that I would shepherd them pretty directly in that way by teaching yeah. the catechism. And um, I guess I would just challenge any minister who's listening to teach the catechism to the young people of your church. If there's yeah. two high school students after worship on Sunday, you can do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, uh, just uh, create, I, I make little slides, I show pictures of Heidelberg, I'd um, you know, try to make it fun yeah. um, and interesting. I know you um, show some videos sometimes. Yep, I'll, I'll show a video to prove a point. That, that takes a long time to find videos that are, are really <laughs> right on for a lesson, but yeah. occasionally it just comes naturally. But, um, but uh, yeah, even if there aren't ministers who are listening and the catechism is not being taught at a Christian Reformed church that you, the listener, are mm. attending or a member of, you could ask for permission to teach the catechism to the young people yeah. of the church. Um, my catechism teacher was an engineer at Caterpillar um, <laughs> growing up, and he did a great job, and he's he's still a, a strong believer and has a wonderful Christian family right now. Mm -hmm. And, and so um, I just want to encourage that. And, and here's, here's part of the reason. Um, obviously, the main part is just that children um, understand the the flow of the Christian life, which is that we are sinners, that we're saved by grace mm -hmm. in Christ um, through his work on the cross, and that that we show our thankfulness, our gratitude by living a life of obedience to him. And so it's just that basic structure yeah. that forms our Christian life. Um, mm -hmm. But I would say another reason would be that uh, just listening to a lot of the comments that were made from the floor of Synod it was very clear that even office bearers in the Christian Reformed Church have not been thoroughly catechized. Hmm. Um, how they talk about misery and sin and our desires mm -hmm. and um, the law, uh, mm -hmm. the law of God being a good thing. Um, it, there were there were things said from the floor of synod that were directly um, contradictory yeah. to the basic teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, you know, at one point, um, somebody saying, well, um, you know, we're just making too big of a deal out of this sin. Uh, that was almost hmm. one of the refrains. Mm -hmm. um, why, why is this sexual sin such a big deal when, you know, there's all kinds of other thin, uh, things that, that, we, uh, that we all struggle with? Mm -hmm. And 
There's some truth to that, but the Catechism says that any person who is truly born again will strive to keep all of God's commandments and mm-hmm. not just some. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the clear teaching of the Catechism. Yep. And, and yep. so when somebody's making a comment, why are we making such a big deal out of this sin? It's just, it's just directly opposed by the teaching of the mm-hmm. Catechism. We need to strive to, to obey all God's commandments, and the born-again person will strive to yeah. obey all God's commandments. And so um, that's, that's another one. Another reason that I could give is for catechetical preaching um, is, is that uh, it's just good for me to be in the catechism, hmm. not just teaching it to young people, but really working it out for the purpose of, of sermon writing. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've engaged with pastors uh, recently um, who, who just, you know, critical of the catechism, um, and, and I, I just can't help but think if, if it were our tradition still in the CRC to, to teach the catechism, mm-hmm. to defend and promote, like we've promised to do, the teachings yeah. of our confessions, so many of our issues would, um, I wouldn't say they would be resolved because we live in, in a world where, where I make mistakes right. and where Perfect other pastors do Perfect catechesis isn't going to yeah, solve That's not the silver bullet. Problems. Uh, but, um, when when we get to the stage in a denomination where some ministers are openly teaching against the catechism, you know um, something's gone awry. Yes, we, we've the, we've lost something yeah. um, over the course of of the, uh, the, the you know the, the the road. You might say, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so um, yeah, I, I would say you know, we talk a lot about the double ditch on on our on our episodes and. The ditch on one side is to sort of trust that the catechism will fix everything. Yeah. Um, the ditch on the other side is to neglect it altogether mm-hmm. and then pretend that we have some sort of confessional unity in the Christian yeah. Reformed Church, which yeah. um, has been revealed that that isn't there as much as it needs to be. Yeah. I I think about all of this, and I may have mentioned it in our last episode. Maybe I didn't. I'm struggling to remember. But uh, there's the old... Uh, I think it's from G.K. Chesterton, the old image of the two fences. And there's children playing on a, I think it's depicted as sort of like a, a mountaintop, but there's fences on either side and the kids are allowed to have fun and play freely. And then they begin to wonder, why are these fences here? These fences are restricting us. Did, mm. did I mention mm. this last time? No, no. Okay. Uh, and so they decide we're going to tear these fences down. It would be more fun. We'd have more freedom to to move with ease without these fences. And so they tear them down because they don't really know why they've been there. They've just been there for forever, longer than the kids have been around. And so once they tear the fences down, they then realize, oh, now we can't play with ease because these fences were were protecting us from from falling off the cliff on either side. Uh, and so they start huddling towards the middle, trying to be as far away from the, the edge of the cliff as possible because now they realize what they've done. Mm. And the idea here in this sort of parable is that we ought to be really careful whenever we take down the way things have been done in the past without really knowing why they were put there in the first place, why those decisions yeah. were made in the first place. And so before we start canceling our teaching of the catechism, we ought to really know the goodness of the catechism, why we should be teaching it uh, before we ever make a decision to, to maybe cut it from our ministry as a church. Uh, I think when we, when we think like that, when we have that sort of, uh, that sort of uh, ability and that desire to listen, listen to the wisdom of the past, uh, it will help us to understand our way forward into the future. 
this is kind of along the lines of C.S. Lewis and his chronological snobbery mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. We shouldn't be uh, snobbish towards history, towards those who have come before us. I think we uh, we see two different approaches in the CRC today towards our history. There's this the, there's the approach that looks back and cringes, and there's the approach that looks back and uh, relishes. <laughs> mm. uh, and I think these can both be a part of that double ditch road. Again, yeah. we're not trying to repristinate, you know, the the origins of the CRC. We're not trying to go back to 1857. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not what we want to do. It's not feasible. It's not even going to be the best. There are things that there are changes that have been made in the history of the CRC that are for the best. Uh, something we were even mentioning before the episode began, Mark, was the Dutchness of the CRC mm-hmm. and how CR- CRC services in the United States were uh, they were very committed to doing them all in Dutch. Uh, the sort of Dutch ethnic. Uh, uh, yeah, the language the language yeah. that, that that those sort of ties were so deep that it was uh in many ways it was an exclusively dutch denomination then and if you weren't dutch uh you wouldn't have have fit mm-hmm. um and i think it was just called the dutch church yeah in, in and, a lot of and we've towns. come a long ways from yeah. that and i think that that is good because yeah. christianity uh, is not just for Dutch people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Christian Reformed Church is not just for Dutch people. I, my my wife had, what, yeah, uh, grew up in one of the the last churches I think to do away with their Dutch service. Wow, hmm. and um, and there was just a Christian Reformed Church in the town she grew up in, and and that was the identity of the church was it was the Dutch church. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so I, I'm glad you bring that up, Zach. We we're not saying that everything that has changed in the CRC has been for the worse. Correct. Uh, that would be an example where something was changed that was certainly for the better. That, yeah. um, you know, we don't have to hide from the uh, the the Dutch, theo- the, the theology that came out of the Netherlands um, mm-hmm. because it was in a lot of ways very wonderful and, and still is very helpful today. So we don't have to hide from that and be embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet at the same time, I think that what we can say it's for the better that we become a more ethnically diverse denomination. Yeah. And I think that there are many things that the CRC has learned from the broader Christian world that have been for the better. I think there are things that they've learned that are for the worse. Yeah. Personally, um, like like the reduction of the evening services, I think that that it becomes hard to do in a world where most churches don't do evening services. Mm-hmm. And if they do do an evening service, it's typically the same service from the morning, just done in the evening. And, you know, a lot of mega churches do five services all in one one weekend. They do some services on Saturday, mm-hmm. three or four services on Sunday, and it's all the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not what we're doing, uh, but. But because the broader American church scene doesn't do evening services, uh, I think it becomes more and more commonplace and easy. The sort of center of gravity in our practice is to sort of go with what's the most common thing outside of our own denomination. And so, yeah, Yeah, things change. That's a great segue, too, to one of your earlier points about children in the service. And so, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I cannot say strongly enough that if there are Christian Reformed churches where children are never sitting in church with their parents until, say, they're in high school, mm-hmm. that is a spiritual disaster waiting to happen. That should not be happening. Just yeah. thinking of it theologically, spiritually, um, 
there, I suppose there would be some practical reasons why somebody could make the argument that kids are going to have more fun um, off on their own yeah. during the service, say a middle school student, but mm-hmm. children need to hear their parents singing in church. Yeah, yeah. Children absolutely. need to be sitting next to their parents praying in church. Children mm-hmm. need to hear the same message that their parents heard sitting in church so that they can talk about it when they go home. Um, mm-hmm. That is so formative for the, uh, the the faith of a child that um, this modern American trend towards mm-hmm. siphoning every kid off into different rooms during the worship service, so much so that I think it's even possible that even high school students aren't sitting in church with their families at, at some of the large churches near us. Mm-hmm. Um, this is yeah. shocking to me how yeah. pragmatic it is and how... Um, unhelpful that will be in the long run. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, just, I just know also that 10, 15 years from now, when those churches are saying, where did all our young people go? They'll, mm-hmm. They won't make the connection um, yeah. because they, they made this pragmatic choice instead of making uh, what, is, what is actually a... I mean, Deuteronomy 6 talks about talking with your children mm-hmm. um, when, mm-hmm. when you rise and lie down, when you walk along the way, Bind yeah. these things to your foreheads, um, you know, to the fronts of your eyes, um, and and part of that is hmm. being together as a family in church, and um, yeah. uh, cer- certainly to the extent that makes sense. Of course, for a, a little one, a baby, you know, it would mm-hmm. be permissible. I think to have a baby in a nursery. That's that's don't want to go too far on on the yeah. principle, but um, you know, when we when we start talking about. Uh, 12, 13, 14-year-olds who are not with their families, who have never sat yeah. in church with their families, that's, that's going to be a, a pretty big loss mm-hmm. for a generation of, of young people. Yeah, I think looking back on my own experience as a child, I can rem- remember being in church with my parents. We did it quite the same way. We do it here at Almond Valley where mm-hmm. we would be, with, be in the service for part of it, and then there would be a time where we would, we would head out and go to our sort of age specific worship service and i remember thinking i don't know what any of this is about i don't quite understand the lyrics to these songs Mm -hmm. i couldn't even read but i remember seeing my dad singing and thinking how strange that was but how i knew that this really meant something important was going on here and then my dad would sit and my mom would sit and they would be quiet and they would ask us to be quiet and if we started acting up in (laughs) in our pew they would say hey you need to be quiet. You need to listen. This is important. Yep. And I got the sense that this, whatever was happening was reverent. It was serious. Uh, it was beyond what I could comprehend. But I look back and I realize how much that formed me. And it formed my understanding of God. It formed my understanding of the church uh, and what it was all about and the goodness of it all, the beauty of it all. That there was a time on a Sunday mornings where I would have to be quiet and I would have to sit and I would have to learn something yeah. or try to learn something even if I couldn't quite grasp it intellectually. Yeah, you'll have to grow up into yeah. what, they're, what they're doing instead exactly. of the church changing Putting for, things on the bottom shelf right, for you. Always changing to sort of cater to the, the lowest common denominator. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the child grows up into something and ex- that's that's so well put it, yeah the child is not going to enjoy every sermon yeah or, or i don't remember any everything. of them from yeah. that period of my life <laughs> but that's what you're growing up into and so it's so important yeah and, yeah 
Exactly. And so the question is, how do we make these decisions? We should make them biblically. We should lean on the Lord and on his ways, his wisdom, and not on our own understanding. Uh, We should allow his word to guide us. We should think things through theologically, even if it's going to cost us, Mm -hmm. even if it's going to be more difficult, it's going to require more work like a Sunday evening. It requires a lot from, from the pastor putting together another sermon. It requires having another person to help lead worship. It requires people to go on Sunday evenings. There are sacrifices quote unquote that we'll have to make to, to do these things. It won't always be easy to teach the catechism to our high school students, but we should strive to do it nonetheless because of the great benefit and the goodness of it. So that that's the kind of people that it will require. Even parents who have their kids in their services with them uh, will have to learn to deal with that, to be the kind of parents that, <laughs> yeah. that love their kids well, but help them to try to focus as best they can. Mm-hmm. It's not just for, I think a lot of parents like churches where they can put their kids into a different room because of the just sheer convenience of it. It's free babysitting while I get to have some peace and quiet listening to a sermon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we should be the kind of parents that, I think rise above even those kinds of temptations to just have things be easy all the time yeah. and we should we should push ourselves to grow and so it will require require some stretching and some growing pains but I think we can do it by God's grace. Yeah, and uh, I'd be curious for feedback on this uh, episode. And so if somebody's got thoughts on um, maybe something that the Christian Reformed Church or uh, Christianity in say the Western world has lost Hmm. Uh, architecture could be another oh, yeah, example. I mean, sure. we didn't have any touch on that, but beauty, um, <laughs> the physical one, yeah. beauty of a church um, having changed that principle or value hmm. over the, um, uh, that's it just came to my mind, but that's a whole other thing. We, we could do a whole episode about church buildings and how yeah. a, a sacred space, and I love our church building because mm-hmm. of the, the ceiling is so high and mm-hmm. it really just lifts your eyes upwards, and, yeah, and yet yeah. that is not the trend anymore. It's it's sort of more the big box style yep. of, of churches yep. now. So, um, so yeah, uh, let us know what you think. Uh, you could email either of us. My email address is pastormark at almondvalley.org. Um, Zach's is zdewey at almondvalley.org. Yep. And um, let us know uh, what uh, what you think has changed, maybe for the better, and that could be something we address yeah, in a future episode. Um, and uh, what what we are maybe missing, and now we're realizing something good is gone. Hmm. And so uh, thank you, though, for listening and tuning in yeah, to Reform Podmatics guys. this week. Hopefully we will be with you again soon. But until then, uh, the Lord bless and keep you. Grace and peace, you guys. Mm-hmm.